0: Have you been zombified by imagination or a lack thereof?
1: <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, both, I think. Uh, it's definitely more fun sort of getting zombified by imagination and sort of that sense of wonder that we talk about. You know, I think that I love that when I'm like just thinking about. Things. Yeah. How about you?
0: In that like flow state where you're kind of your brain is just going and you're like, wow, maybe this, maybe that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I yeah. love
0: that. So. I love that too. Um, yeah. I would say definitely both, but certainly, um, more painfully and more often zombified <laughs> by a lack of imagination than.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel. I feel like when I was a kid. Now maybe I just remember this selectively, but you know what I mean. I feel like as a kid, I felt I spent a lot of my time. Zombified by imagination and wonder, and trying to figure out the world. And I feel like as a grown up, you know, it's a little bit more of like zombified by routine.
0: Yeah, well, there's also. not time for that, like wonder and joy at the world any longer.
1: Um, I mean, that's that's certainly what we tell ourselves, right? But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a, maybe it's time to make time. Right? I don't
0: know. We're too busy being busy.
1: <laughs> well. That maybe is the question of today's episode. <laughs> it is
0: kind of the question of today's episode. Are we are we too busy being busy? To be imaginative about imagination anymore. Right.
1: Now we're too busy to introduce ourselves, right? That's what we've determined. <laughs> I guess. <lately>. So, yes. <laughs> uh,
0: well, um, maybe maybe we let's let's buck that. Let's buck yeah, that let's trend of being too busy and, and introduce ourselves. So, right. I am your host, Athena Actippus. I'm a psychology professor here at ASU and the executive producer of Zombified Media.
1: And I am your co-host, uh, Dave Lundberg Kenrick. I am the creative director at the psych department at asu something like that blah 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 media media. although i don't know if media is in my title anymore it's just like creative director but that's that's cool though doesn't it sound kind of cool you should
0: just say i am the creative director creative
1: director of (laughs) (laughs) the department yes Um, so uh so your
0: job is actually to like bring some imagination and fun here
1: Oh yeah, I guess I should start doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Creativity—it's right there in the job title, and so uh, yes. So, so yeah.
0: we, and I mean, we we do love imagination and creativity, and the brains that that yes. give rise to those things.
1: We do, but I, I actually think it's it's really easy to forget that. You know what I mean? It's really easy, even when we're doing creative stuff, to sort of do it in a mundane way, um, and so
0: hmm, you do like creative stuff in a mundane way like you're not really like in the the joy of it or how do you do creative stuff in a mundane well, way both. i
1: spend oh. a lot of my time templating things right yeah you know and brand <laughs> guidelines and all these sorts of things yeah, yeah. um and so uh it it really is it's interesting how quickly it can become work uh mm-hmm. and
0: you got to create some, like, constraints, some guardrails, because you don't want people to just be creative and imaginative, <laughs> like, without that. Well, I
1: you know, I understand that, why we need to do that, right, to produce yeah. stuff, but... Um I don't know. You know, honestly, even when we were doing this show and we should introduce our guests, but there are points throughout this show where I kept trying to break the mold because I know we have our sort of like questions and I'd be like, why don't you guys just tell us what you like the most now, which is a little bit different, but I actually think those are my favorite parts of the show. But before we get into the favorite parts, we should... We should stick to our template and we should say who our guest is, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, so our guest is the just amazing Andrew Maynard. So Andrew has been thinking about technology and its role in society for decades. He has like an amazing YouTube um, channel um, called R- Risk Bites that is phenomenal. And uh, I mean, he is you know, he doesn't introduce himself as such, but he is a thought leader in this whole area for sure. So I feel like we're really thought lucky leader that.
1: is a really weird thing to introduce yourself as. You I, know am I, mean? <laughs> I am a thought leader. I am a thought leader. Um, I am a public
0: intellectual and a thought leader. Yeah,
1: so, um, <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I could never really imagine him. Introducing himself yeah. that way. Yeah, I can't um. really imagine anybody introducing themselves that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of... um, but no, he is, uh, I mean, he's so fun to talk to. Right. And so, um, yeah. and he, I think he introduced himself as having a background as a physicist. So that's and right. And now yeah.
0: he is. He's like one of the only people who actually understands kind of what's going on with chat GPT, like in the world right now.
1: Oh, um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like
0: you know he's just he, he like has wrapped his head around many many different aspects and angles on it and what it means for you know right. But I'm guessing for society, I'm guessing If He
1: was listening. He'd also be thinking that he would not introduce himself as someone who understands Chachi. No, he, he talks a lot about how he's like nobody understands. It, yeah, right. Yeah. So, well,
0: um, you know the wisdom to know what you don't know, right? Like there's some of that too. It's, yeah, like yeah. there there are. Um, I mean, there, there's just so many things going on with tech that are beyond any one person's ability to fully wrap their mind around it because it's been, you know, they've been created by so many different brains. And then they're like, you know, self-training. Right. And so there are things that are black boxes now that we might never really understand, like what the functional design is underlying them because we didn't clearly enough specify how the learning algorithms were going to teach themselves, right? So
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as opposed to our brains, which we understand so well. That's right. And <laughs> so,
0: consciousness, which yeah, we understand. Which we, yeah. have, so we
1: just, I feel like we've got that locked down, you know. That's right. Um, yeah, totally. I never, never question my own decisions. <laughs> so, and we've had, you know... All of history to try to figure that one out.
2: So No, that's
0: a really, really good point. And in fact, you know, since we do talk a lot about brains and the future and all of that in this episode and, and in general on this podcast, I think it is really worth, you know, sitting with that. That like, yeah, there's a lot of unknown shit going on with tech and AI right now. But there's also... A lot of unknown shit with our own brains, how our brains work, why they work the way they do, you know, what the mechanisms are underlying them. And yeah, so a lot of there's a lot of things to wonder about and imagine how they might work and uh, come (laughs) up with creative hypotheses and ideas that you could then go and test.
1: So because I think. Originally the, the plan was that this episode was gonna be about how we should be scared, right? Like that's sort scared of scared about of technology, our template, right? probably. Yeah. Right? yeah. But yeah, then yeah. it turns out maybe, uh, maybe not. Maybe this is super fun.
2: So <laughs> 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 oh.
0: Yeah, I mean I think both, right? There's like there's a lot of things to be like really, really frightened about, but that doesn't mean we can't have fun with yeah. it. And it doesn't mean that there aren't amazing, intriguing possibilities for the future that we can imagine and co-create
1: right so yeah yeah. i guess for me the idea of like a ai apocalypse is like i feel the same way that like you feel about like wasps that crawl into other wasp brains right i'm like oh that should be should be freaking me out but i'm actually like this is the coolest thing ever so um,
2: yeah so cool so
0: we kind of have like a little bit of like division of labor in terms of our like intrigue <laughs> like, with uh, forms of zombification. Yeah, morbid, yeah, 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 right. So, so um, you like so the AI apocalypses and um, zombification, so. and you're like ready to turn your brain over to the machines. I,
1: I've th- I've thought about it. I yeah. definitely yes. <laughs> I think it'd be great. I want to see what. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, and I'm just like so unbelievably intrigued by all these like biological forms of zombification where organisms get hijacked by each other yeah
1: so So for me like a wasp growing in my brain is like my worst nightmare but if it's like hey we have this chip that's like slightly untested that you could put into your own brain i'd be like okay i'll try it (laughs) (laughs) so sign me up so yeah so what is your favorite part of today's episode
0: My favorite part of today's episode was when we kind of talked about like what the like zombie apocalypse scenario is of, you know, the way that like tech has just come to dominate so many, Ah, so many things. mm, And that's all I'm going to say because you have to listen to the rest of the episode.
1: (laughs) Well, my favorite part was when I got you guys kind of off track and you were talking about. The Origins of Life. And <laughs> you guys were so excited, right? Yeah. And it like, it kind of got me excited. I was like, oh, that's, that's really exciting. And so it really, I think, demonstrated the way the infection of wonder and imagination mm-hmm. can can spread like a virus. So
0: Okay, yes. that's also my favorite part now.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No,
0: so, that was really fun. And I mean, I like... I really, really nerd out about stuff about the origins of life and I don't get the chance to, to talk to people about it because I, I you know, I like, guess I do really interdisciplinary stuff, but I don't talk that much with people who study, you know, origins of life and astrobiology and all that. And
1: yeah, yeah we should do an episode on it. Like it could be like talking yeah. about the sort of the way the first forms of life spread. You know, I feel like that could we could totally tie that in with a, Yeah, that definitely of, is a, a, the a life zombification yeah, topic so.
0: for sure, right? Yeah. 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 So. yeah. Well, I I mean, I think that this episode was just a super fun way to like also engage about things that I find personally fascinating and terrifying about what's going on with ChatGPT and tech and all of that. So, having andrew's brains with us for an hour and a bit like it was yeah it was just super fun and um i'm gonna just like listen to it on repeat for like the next few days so that i can like fully internalize all of his wisdom
1: all right i'm gonna feed it into chat gpt and have chat gpt sort of summarize it summarize it for, summarize <laughs> it for
0: me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. all right well let's hear from this week's fresh brain andrew maynard i know it's crazy but it seems so
2: logical try to fight it but it's something psychological with you makes me act the way i do i'm not trying to be over analytical retracing time to remind
0: Andrew, thank you so much for being on Zombified with
3: us. I am so looking forward to this.
0: Hey, would you introduce yourself in your own words for our uh, audience who don't know you as well? I as hate it Dave when people ask me. <laughs>
3: yeah. So I'm Andrew Maynard, I'm a professor at Arizona State University. I study the future and technology and how we get to the future intact, rather than in absolute tatters with advanced technologies.
0: Yeah, the future. <laughs> how do we get to the future? How do we get to the future? Well, you know, we, we can get
3: to the future. It's just how what we're like when we get there, which is the problem.
0: I see, right. So if you just like lay in a pile on your couch, you will get to the future. You will,
3: <laughs> yes. That's the beauty of time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but if we want the future to be the kind of future that we want to happen, then we need to get our asses off
3: the couch. That's pretty much it, yes.
0: (laughs) So, Andrew, since you study, you know, all of these sort of different things that intersect with technology and the future and sort of the risks that we're facing in the future. Mm. Um, that's a really like interdisciplinary space to be in. How did you get to Massively
3: that? so. Yeah, um, I have no idea. I started life as a physicist. And I so I I tell this story time and time again, I did physics because I was lousy at everything else. <laughs> it wasn't that I now was... you're
0: doing everything well, else. Well, yeah, <laughs> for, for,
3: for some bizarre reason, I now do everything. Um, but no, I, I always wanted to do everything. And I could when I was younger. And I went through a really weird convoluted career path where I suddenly found myself in places where I could indulge myself and sort of dabble in masses of different things. So these days, I I would say I still have a physicist brain. That has not left me. But Mm. I do everything from toxicology to environmental science to social science to science communication to Anything that actually sort of contributes to how we think in really broad ways about the future in society.
0: Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and I love brains. I mean, you know I love <laughs> I know. brains. So, <laughs> uh, but, so what does it mean to have a, a physics brain? A phys-
3: yeah, well, actually, I've never been sure whether this is universal or whether it was just my unique and slightly strange upbringing. Um, But I um, grew up in the UK, and I was part of an experimental um, series of of curricula in the UK. But you
0: were part of a massive experiment?
3: (laughs) Actually, (laughs) yes. gave rise to your brain? (laughs) (laughs) I think I was. Um, It was actually, so it actually has a name. It was called Nuffield Science. Um, And back in the the late 70s and uh, 1980s, um, it was an approach to science that that taught people to think in terms of concepts and principles, than rather than just learn things by rote. So when it came to physics, um, the math was important. But more than the math, it was getting an intuitive understanding of how the universe works. And it made perfect sense to me. I, I loved it. I loved it so much that um, I remember um, a high school physics exam, practical exam, where I got so sort of caught up in the experiments we were doing, I actually forgot I was in the exam. It was just fascinating stuff. <laughs> you had but like an
0: out-of-body experience
3: I, because I, you were I, so into I, it. I did. but but so, so the phys- I think
0: you were part of an. Ex- there might have been another dimension to this experiment <laughs> the, the, they weren't the, telling you about. That may well have been now that you
3: mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but, but to me, the, the physics brain, actually, I think this is sort of, across the world in terms of how physics is is taught is is this set of concepts with how you think about how the world works and how the universe works and connections between cause and effect. So that's an important Mm. aspect of it. It's an intuitive understanding of how you put things together and sort of make sense of a really complex puzzle. Mm. But then there's another aspect to this which I love. And and this is what you see in, in really creative physics thinkers. And it's this assumption that you can reinvent the universe. Uh, there was a, a story that resonated with me when I was fairly young from the physicist Richard Feynman. Yeah,
0: first of all, what do you mean by reinvent the universe? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, what does that mean? <laughs> so it's it, it is this
3: idea that um, how we understand the universe doesn't need to be the be-all and end-all. Um, and you can play around with things. So the, the obvious example is... Um, up until sort of Newton and afterwards, we we had this idea of Newtonian physics. We described the world around us using Newtonian physics. And then Einstein came along and said, no, that's rubbish. I've got a much better idea. And then after um, Einstein, we had string theory and quantum electrodynamics and a whole bunch of other things. So physicists have got this habit of saying, you know, I don't like your theory. I'm going to come up with a new one and it's going to be fancier. It's going to have lots more interesting metaphors and it's just going to blow the world up. And this is still happening in physics. So there's, that that license to play, I think, which mm. um, is embedded in my mind.
0: So you can kind of say, well, let's take a different framework and yes. put the universe in it and see what happens.
3: That That's exactly it. And and so I, I mentioned Richard Feynman. One of the things that, that really struck me as a, a, a young person was a story he told about how he began to do the work that led to his Nobel Prize. Um, And it was very simply the idea that if you have a a really small volume of space where, according to the physics of the time, it was impossible to tell what was happening in that volume of space, you could make anything up. And rather than seeing this as a problem, he saw it as an opportunity to just be incredibly creative. And that actually led to some of his really interesting theories around how electrons sort of behave in in this space. But what struck me was the idea that if nobody can prove you're wrong, you can make anything up and run with it.
0: (laughs) I wish that more of science was like
2: that.
0: Seriously. I mean, being totally serious because like with the microbiome, there's so much that we can't know or like what's happening with like cellular interactions inside our body, whether it's with, you know, cancer cells or normal cells. Like there are things that we can't measure. We cannot look dynamically at what is happening there. And I feel like there's sometimes a little bit of a lack of imagination about the possibilities of what might be happening. See, this is
3: it. And of course, you've got to bring it down to reality at some point. At at some point in science, you've got to be able to predict something which is is testable. But until you get to that point, that idea of allowing your imagination to run wild and come up with the craziest stuff, and then pull it all back in as you begin to test
0: it. Right, right. Because you want to have that like stage where you're generating hypotheses be
3: generative
0: not just be the same old shit like you know a different flavor of shit that you've been eating all your life how boring is that i know
3: (laughs) so actually i've I've got to say this was one of my most disappointing wake-up calls with science because i thought this was how all science was done until I realized later in life that 95% of science is the really boring stuff where people sit in a lab and turn the handle and look at the data with no imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's just that top 5% of people that just break through those, those boundaries of, of creative thinking. Um, yeah. and those are the people that I, I love. But it was so disappointing to realize that so much of science is just boring.
0: Yeah, well, and then, you know, unfortunately, students... Coming up and like learning, uh, right. right? They often get taught like you have to do the safe thing, do this thing that you're sure is going to succeed. Don't like step outside of no, the frameworks that are already. They, they've accepted. got to
3: break out of that. And I, yeah. so I, I got to say here, I being an implant to the US. So I, I grew up in this environment in the UK where we were encouraged to play around with ideas. Watching my kids go through the American system, where science is taught, in the main, not everywhere, but in the main, as such a boring process. This idea that there is the scientific method, and you follow the recipes, and you get data, and that's it. I have never found an interesting scientist who does science in that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's it's amazing to me how, like, once you kind of, you. it's almost like you take away, like, why we even have science in the first place is because right. we see something and we're like, what's going on? That's crazy, right. right? And you think about, like, what might be going on? And then, yes, you come up with, you know, some ideas about how you might test it and you do want to like be very explicit about how your hypothesis leads to the predictions and then measure that, analyze that. Like, yes, we all agree. It's good to do those things. But there's there's so much else that is going on right. with doing good science and a lot of it is really fucking fun. It is. Right? I, I, yeah.
3: And that's it. There is an incredible degree of fun and wonder in science. So science done well is all about wonder and joy and excitement. And yeah, you may be wrong 99 times out of 100 and you learn to recognize that, but that one time out of a hundred that you hit the nail on the head, it is incredible.
1: Yeah. So so could you guys give me some examples of sort of science done well? Oh, goodness
3: me. Um, so if you look at some of the, the big breakthroughs, I, I would actually go as far back as as Einstein. You can go back mm-hmm. a, a lot further than that, but you look at some of his most creative breakthroughs, he was just trying to imagine the universe in a different way. He wasn't constrained by conventional thinking. He was certainly constrained by the the, the mathematics of how we describe the universe. But he had a clarity of thought that was just compelling and exciting. And you can feel the excitement as he began to sort of see how things fit together within these these new models. So that's that's one example. All right. Um, I, I mean, Darwin. Yes. I mean,
0: in a different way, right? I mean, he was just like, he was so curious about the world and paid attention and observed things and then like messed with things, right? I mean, he had like, you know, all of these mm. plants that he was always like growing. And yeah. so, you know, this, this like really kind of immersive way of like a, sort of an almost an embodied kind of right. like in, you know, s- then you start to get these like intuitions about what might be going on. And then, yes, then you want to like pull it together with, you know, these concrete observations. And then what, you know, what would you predict from this and what would this mean but you have to be you have to have something that allows you to get outside of all of the previous assumptions about what the world might be and why the world is the way it is yep and
3: Yep. And I, I think there are many examples there. So actually, I was going to go back to that example of that that high school exam. So we had uh, an experiment where we had a, a ball of steel wool um, connected into an electric circuit. And we were told to blow on it and see what happened. And there was an ammeter in the circuit. And you could see that the flow of electricity changed. Effectively, what we had was a hot wire anemometer, although we weren't told that. Um, And just the process, hot wire anemometer anemometer is is, is, is basically it's a piece of heated wire and as Uh air flows across it, it changes the resistance of the wire. And you can use that to correlate with the the wind speed. So effectively, what we had was one of those in front of us. And Uh I was just so enamored by the fact that I could blow on this ball of still wool. And it changed something. Uh-huh. I it was I was a little kid, sort of blow, change, blow, change. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and then thinking, why does it do that? That's doubly amazing. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, right. And you know, I feel like there's almost like a skipping over of the wonder.
3: Right. Yes. You
0: know, and it's like no, we just need to get to the learning part. And it's like no, the learning part you can't like that. That is the like the wonder right, is right. part of the learning. Like you can't just be like no, just the facts. Like learn the propositions that explain the world. That, it's like, that, no, that's it right. Work.
3: It, it is. And and then if I was to get really nerdy, I, you do begin to sort of put the math in. So in physics, you can't ex- extract it from the math. But that's when sort of once you've got this intuition of how things connect, you can use math as a language to describe that. So I mean, now you put an equation up and it's beautiful because you can see how all of those components describe what you're seeing and observing Yeah,
0: and you can be like what the fuck how come the math can describe this <laughs> I right? know it's
2: like, yeah. so cool right?
0: <laughs> right but you know if you're just like okay now you're going to learn that this math shows why this happens oh, yes. right like that is not amazing but like seeing a thing experiencing it watching the changes and then there being a way of like representing it with like numbers and symbols where you can predict things.
3: How cool is that? It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, it's, it's interesting actually to think like very big picture about how we can really get zombified by a lack of imagination.
3: I was going to go exactly in in that direction. Yes, I I, I actually think there's a really interesting parallel there where creativity and imagination is sucked out of us, so we just end up being a husk following the same patterns that we've been taught to follow. A zombie. A (laughs) zombie, yes. Yes, an an imaginative or intellectual zombie just sort of plodding along. Yeah, so... I'm not quite sure what the brains are in this analogy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what are the brains? That, isn't it our brains are being eaten by oh. the, whoever the zombifying forces? Well, actually,
3: if you really want to push this, it, it's the brains of bright young students that we're just eating up and turning into new zombies.
1: Yes. Ooh, so. wow.
3: <laughs>
0: so, you know, why, why is it that this imagination is not, a part of the way that we do things if it's so powerful yeah. in terms of engaging people. I,
3: I think there are a lot of explanations. I'm not sure I, I know what the actual answer is, but um, at some point over the last 50 to 100 years, um, science was institutionalized and operationalized. And actually, you can trace a lot of this back to just after the Second World War, where um, people began to see that the economic benefits in um, doing industrial science, churning stuff out that you could then use to stimulate the economy. So rather than science being a thing of discovery and wonder and excitement and actually enriching our lives as we learned about the universe, it was all about um, creating knowledge that allowed it to allowed us to do stuff, to fix problems, to make money. Um, and as soon as you sort of say you do science in order to make money, it gets really tedious and you, you take away the wonder even when you start talking about science to fix problems, you're beginning to take away some of the edge. And this is important because, of course, ultimately we want the knowledge we generate to be used to benefit society, and that involves actually addressing really complex problems. But the trouble is, if you do that without understanding the wonder, you only get so far towards fixing the problems. If you included the wonder there, the the range and diversity of possibilities that come out of science are much vaster than if you just tell somebody Mm you You've Got to sit at that desk for eight to ten hours a day and work on problems until you've solved it.
0: Right. And then you don't understand why you right. don't have a sense of purpose or mission or any of those things that like give meaning to our lives. You just feel like a zombie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> so, so what's an example of like how we can bring that imagination in?
3: Yeah. So we can, we can start. With how we teach science, I, I so there are lots of entry points. One is with K through twelve education. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here, I, I've got to say, I teachers do an incredible job uh, within limited constraints. Uh, with, well, with yeah. limiting constraints and, and with a, a lot of things that, that actually hold them back. Yeah. Um, but I think we can do more to think about the wonder of science as well as the, the practice of science there. And then when you get to university and we train students, I think we can do an awful lot more to give them latitude to enjoy themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But that requires institutional change. And not only in the institutional, it, it requires society to recognize that there is value in play in science. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. this is the key. So you take a, a funding agency like the National Science Foundation, Um, They want results from the dollars they put into science, And, and understandably so because this is taxpayers' money, they want to see a return on the investment. But I think they get so paranoid that we're not going to see a big enough return that everything is operationalized, you have to produce more and more and more for each dollar. Whereas if we actually had a way of allowing play, imagine when you got an NSF grant, 20% 20% of your time was just allowed for playing, for messing around with new ideas. I think people would ultimately become far more productive and would have far more bright scientists in the pool.
0: So, so you're suggesting that, that students should have fun?
3: I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so radical. <laughs>
0: I mean, and also that researchers that we should have fun. I, I,
3: so that I yeah. absolutely believe. And I. So you must have <laughs> seen this. The number of people that that I talk to who are just burnt out. They yeah. they feel as if no matter what they do and how much they do, more is expected. So they have no time for fun and for actually
1: thinking. Right. So so let me ask both of you guys. Sort of right now, in your careers, what is the science that fills you personally with the most sense of wonder and fun.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I'll let you go first if you want.
1: Yeah,
3: there's there's an awful lot of it. Um, And this is going to be really controversial. um, And I hope somebody pushes back on this. But the the science that doesn't fill me with wonder is social science. It does or doesn't? Doesn't. Does not. Because it it seems to be sort of... driven by a need to address really sort of complex and depes- depressing problems which is which is important mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i find it very hard to find joy in that the stuff that that gives me joy is is everything from learning about the intricacies of biology to learning about the universe to, to learning stuff that we don't know the answers to and even being shown that i'm wrong with things so so again i don't know whether this is sort of typical scientist or atypical I get excited when somebody says, look, something that you've thought of as being true all these years is actually wrong. And this is why it isn't that cool. (laughs) So as an example of that, there are are a number of emerging theories um, around basic physics and about the nature of life. Uh, which I find absolutely intriguing. I think a lot of these are probably wrong, but the fact that they bring a very, very new perspective to how we think even about the the nature of life and the emergence of life, I find incredibly exciting.
1: Can can you run any of them
3: by us? Goodness me. So... um, yeah, some of these are really complex, but I'll, I'll just give you a flavor of sure. one. So um, a scientist called Jeremy English, a, a physicist, um, came up with this this theory of the emergence of life, where I, I'm going to sort of simplify this right down to, to something which is almost definitely going to be wrong, because it's simple. Right. But he was interested in this this idea of entropy. So, so entropy is this idea of over time it's harder and harder to extract usable energy from the universe until you get to heat death where you can't extract anything. Um, and he argues that this is this is a natural law of the universe getting to, to heat death. And there is a, a law here that says the universe wants to get to heat death as fast as possible, but it's constrained by a, a number of things. So there's a long, slow process to getting there. But then he comes up with this argument that says the universe has also got this ability to sort of throw up new ways of getting to heat death faster and one of those is life because living systems use up energy usable energy faster than non-living systems so you think about humans we are (laughs) burning through energy at nobody's rate we're actually accelerating the rate of entropy increase and he says it's obvious this is going to happen if if the purpose of the universe is to get to heat death anything that accelerates that is going to be favoured so he has this theory that basically says that, that life as we know it is naturally going to occur all over the place because it just accelerates the rate at which the universe dies which is a bizarre theory but it's really elegant interesting
0: so it's like uh, the universe is a chaos monger or something I, yes effectively <laughs> Yeah, and I,
3: I, I've described this in, in the past of uh, as, as life punching a hole in the the slow, inexorable sort of decay of the universe. So we suddenly sort of slip through the hole and and we decay faster. But there's that little bubble as we do it where everything becomes really exciting and fascinating as it does with life on Earth.
0: Uh, So I have to uh, do a little aside here because I didn't realize that you're really into theories about the the origins of life and such. And I am secretly now not so secretly (laughs) obsessed with it and i have like all this shit in my notebooks but like all these different like different ways that life could have started and i don't have enough people to talk to about it so now (laughs) Now i'm gonna i'm gonna call you up and i'll be like andrew what do you think of this crazy theory what's your
1: what's your favorite origin of life theory
0: Oh well um I see the thing is like I have like my own crazy theory. <laughs> all right, let's do it. I let's have my hear own it. crazy theories. like um well I think that it's quite likely that um life did not originate in like standing water or undersea vents or any of that but actually in the atmosphere mm-hmm. um in little um vapor particles. Mhm um <laughs> so so
3: are you a proponent of life on Venus because I mean, of course that's one of the theories of how life might actually evolve I need like to Venus. I
0: need, I need to look see this is why we need to have right. these conversations yeah um Wait. so I mean basically I think it's it's um it, it's quite easy to get well I mean this again I need to I need to have other brains to talk to you about this mm. because there's only so many things that I know about it but you know if you think about like how do you get from replicators to something that is like a cell. Uh-huh. I think it's much easier to do that with um a sort of suspended little bit of vapor Mm -hmm. and then you have all these you know maybe you have little you know bits of sort of like lipid like things and there's like a natural mechanism there for the lipids to be on the outside forming something that's kind of like what you know a cell is and so it just seems to me like
3: you can self-assemble in a way that you yes yes. and
0: also um, there's a mechanism for like mobility Mm -hmm. right away because if you can change the internal you know features a little bit then you can become lighter or heavier. So if you want to, you know, you want to become heavier, you can get, you can go down and land if you become lighter then you can disperse. Mm, So it seems to me like that, I mean, it's, I don't, I haven't found anybody else who, is thinking along right, those lines right. I just have a bunch of shit in my notebook about that but I don't have anybody to talk to I,
3: I, I love that actually and I so, so actually, <laughs> to, actually two things that meet, so okay. this is this is why conversations like this is yeah. so important in yeah. science um, so two things come immediately to mind one is theories of what life might be like on Venus if it ever evolved mm. um, and the idea both that it almost definitely couldn't evolve on the ground because it's so harsh but up in the atmosphere it might and um, some time ago I think within the last 12-24 months there was evidence that maybe there were levels of phosphorus that were synonymous with life that's now it's looking increasingly unlikely Mm. but the idea that life might evolve in a a gaseous environment is reasonable but the other really really way out thing um, ties in with science fiction this idea of what would life be like if it evolved in gas giants Because Mm. then you are dealing with atmospheres and life development and evolution. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm so excited So let me just... So wait, if it...
1: it, Would the idea be that it started like in like Venus or like a gas giant? So is Jupiter a gas giant? Is that correct? Yes. And then kind of got brought over here or that I, I don't started- think
3: it has to be that that way I mean I, I think you could look at the the earth's atmosphere and and still have the, the same sort Fine. of ideas okay. but it's yeah. one that's extendable to other extreme environments
2: interesting yeah, yeah. so yeah. this yeah.
3: is what happens when you anti-zombify science
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well this is good I mean I think this is sort of what I was curious about is sort of yeah. what you because we were sort of yeah. talking about the idea of bringing yeah. like wonder to science and mm-hmm. I think getting a sample of it is actually really nice. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: well, and I've actually, I mean, just to be, you know, honest, I've been like kind of frustrated with like how hard it is to find people to talk to yeah. about my, because, you know, I think there's like, there's a lot of potentially really interesting, you know, other things with how like initially you get replicators and how you get like, you mm-hmm. know, like, so I have, yeah, I have like all the stuff and I really want to talk to people about it, but people don't want to talk about yeah. ideas that aren't already out there. That,
3: that That's it. And I can guarantee when people listen to this, you'll have an awful lot of people who will say, that's nonsense because it doesn't align with current dogma. Yeah. Um, but I believe very, very strongly there's a need to push against current dogma, even if you don't fully believe it yourself. So an example of that is um, with my work around nanotechnology. There's been this this idea, or there was this idea back in the 1980s, that we could create nanobots, little nanometer-sized robots that could run around and, and do stuff. Um Professionally, I think it's an utterly nonsensical idea, but I think there's incredible value in talking about it. And I I talk about this with my students, because if you don't completely reject the idea, but you explore it, that's when the creativity begins to emerge. And that's where I think it's so important not just to ditch strange ideas, but to actively embrace them and start playing around with them.
0: Yeah. So what are the barriers then to that happening? Like, why Mm. why don't we do that more?
3: again i i think it's we've built this culture up around not only science but but how we explore things which in at one level i think we divide the world into the serious and what we think of as the not serious so we sort of say if you're doing a serious job if you're being paid for it you're not allowed to play you're not allowed to be creative if you're playing and being creative that's the non-serious stuff that that you you're supposed to do in your own time and it's a totally stupid dichotomy
0: it is yeah yeah so yesterday i was talking with my son who's 11 and uh, we were just like joking around and just like ha- you know having a lot of fun and um he said something kind of about like me like you know being like you know funny and i'm like oh i'm like the, the funny parent i'm the fun <laughs> funny parent uh, like so then you know what's your papa we're, we're, we're divorced now right so um and i'm like is he the serious parent he's like no you're the serious parent <laughs> <laughs> i'm like wait, so i'm the funny parent the I'm fun the parent part. and the serious parent he's like yeah you're actually, so intense that you're both <laughs> that's that's
2: pretty
3: cool actually i you know i can imagine parents out there thinking i wish I was both the fun and the
2: serious wrong, one or the other
0: <laughs> yeah so I I mean I think like it is I mean even I was thinking of those as like you know mm. like there's a spectrum and you're on it but no you can you can do both yes. at the same yep. time yeah you can be serious and have fun and it's, <laughs>
3: it's almost I mean this is I, I don't know whether this analogy works but you look at a professional comedian I, professional comedians. Are Dead serious because this is their art and their craft, mm-hmm. but they're funny at the same time, yeah. and imaginative at the same time. Right, right. You can't have one without the other.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so we have uh, like this cultural idea that mm. you that serious and funny need to be separate, right? And that's one of the barriers, yes. potentially. Yeah. Um, are there other Are there other things that get in the way?
3: Oh apart from lack of imagination. Lack of imagination,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I also think, I mean, this relates to the sort of cultural idea of like, you know, you can't have funny Mm -hmm. with serious, which is, um, I think when people either are in the mode of sort of like ego or status competition, right? Then it's like you have to conform to, you know, these are the expectations for how you're going to present your work, how you're going to talk about your work, how you're going to respond to other people's suggestions, right?
3: So this, I think, is actually... Really important, um, and that idea of of collaboration or, or working together. Yes, if you're in a power struggle where you're trying to establish dominance in a field or make sure everybody knows how wonderful you are you are going to be serious. You're not going to let yourself go and be sort of slightly sort of goofy or funny or imaginative. It's only when you have the security in yourself to be a little bit self-deprecating and actually think about giving to the other person rather than establishing yourself that you have that freedom to play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's also a... A situation often that happens, like, you know, in in my field, like in sort of evolution, behavior Mm -hmm. world, but I think in a lot of other worlds, too, where you can almost signal that you're smart Mm -hmm. by being very critical.
3: Yes. Mm. Oh, (laughs) You'll feel the mine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, actually, on, on on top of that, um, again, this is something I bump you to time and time again. So, so much of my career has been about translating really complex ideas to wide audience. And I, I fervently believe that most people can grasp really complex stuff if you give them the chance, if you actually communicate it in an appropriate way. But I've found along the way, and I'm sure you have as well, that if you start explaining complicated ideas in understandable ways your peers begin to disrespect you and and i've actually had people tell me that i probably don't know that much because they could understand me what um, and it was <laughs> and it's this assumption that if i was speaking in a way that nobody understood my my sort of respect quotient would go up which is crazy wow
0: yeah i mean it, there's a whole like level of signaling
3: right yes right
0: and by being incomprehensible it's almost like you you signal I, how, the, like,
3: how many times has somebody said to you so and so must be so bright because I didn't understand a word they said, and actually, it's because they're an idiot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 well, I got to learn I'd have soon to Oh, you <laughs> go. <That's> so bright! <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, he's <Dave's> really smart. <laughs> I have
1: no idea what he's talking about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's finally
1: paying off.
0: <laughs> so, so, so we talked a little bit about some of the barriers, like what. What are the interests like? Who's benefiting from keeping the you know the, yeah. the 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 sort of culture in like so that the imagination isn't fully coming to the table? Who's benefiting That's from a the
3: really like, good question
0: that zombification of our potentially imaginative brains?
3: So I I actually think it's more complex than sort of who's benefiting and who isn't. So if you look at Society and, and you look at economic and social growth or societal growth, it works. Um, We're seeing the economy grow by and large, well, certainly a little bit in North America, although it's a little rocky. Um, you're seeing um, societal benefits from science. I mean, people are generally getting healthier, or they have the option of, of living healthier lives. So we see progress there despite this system of um, what you might call turnkey sort of science without much joy. Um, but the question is, are we really getting the appropriate level of a return on investment um, in mm-hmm. science? And I would argue that actually we're not. Even though we're seeing progress, it is really poor progress compared to what we could see if we thought about science and discovery um, differently to, to how we do. And that's what intrigues me. I think there are different ways of actually discovering stuff, generating new knowledge, using new knowledge that could be vastly more impactful than what we do at the moment.
0: So we're leaving a lot on the table. I think
3: we're leaving a lot on the table. Just
0: because we're being dumb?
3: I think, well, well no. We're being scared? dumb and scared. There are uh, power politics at play as well because you've got institutions that are trying to hold on to power and they're sufficiently risk-averse that they don't want to experiment in a way which will relinquish some of that power. So now you've got a lot of fairly typical sort of personal social dynamics coming into play where people would rather not be imaginative as long as it allows them to keep hold of the power that they believe that they've got.
0: Mm, so... People don't want to give up the power so they're giving up their brains?
3: I think you could interpret it in that way, yes. That
0: doesn't seem like a good trade-off to me.
3: It's a pretty bad trade-off. But yeah, but you know what people are like. I mean, we're a cognitive mess. We
0: are. (laughs) We make good good decisions. And oftentimes we don't even realize what the decisions are that we're making. I mean, maybe if... You know, you were really like sat down and like somebody said, would you like to relinquish your imagination so that you can afford to buy, you know, a Starbucks and a muffin every morning? People be like, no, fuck that.
3: But I'll I'll give you an example. So so for years now, I have tried to persuade my colleagues to take some time out of their busy schedules each week just to sit down, have a coffee or a tea and just talk about interesting stuff. Mm Whenever I talk to them, they'll say, this is a great idea. We're way too busy. We can't think. We need this space. If I'm really lucky, I can get them to come to one half an hour session where we just sit down and talk. And then it's like they've stretched an elastic band and it just sort of pulls them back. By the next week, they're back to saying, I'm just too busy. I can't possibly do this. So it's like we're pre-programmed not to do this.
0: I see that in my students, too. You know, I try to, like, in my... Lab, you know, with my students, I I tell them actually, you, you mentioned this like idea of twenty percent of time. Mm, yes. So I, you know, when new students come in, I say new grad students, I say, hey, you should be spending twenty percent of your time just on whatever is most interesting Which is to amazing, you. By the way, you yes. know, um, not just because interesting things could come out of it. I mean, they certainly do, and some mm-hmm. of my most important projects came out of my like twenty percent things. Yep. Um, but also because. You will forget why you are even here in academia right. if you do not have that space for exploring the ideas that are most interesting, for following up on things that are exciting, for having that space to make the connections that you right. might not otherwise make. And, yes. you know, and it's not a it's not a waste if it doesn't turn into a project, See that right? that's it. Yeah.
3: That's exactly it. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't just have to be a project. But if it spawns some sort of right. intellectual creativity, it's yeah. valuable. And yeah. of course, the irony here is, and you go back to the Enlightenment, and I, I know there are Cultural challenges with how we think about sort of Western science in the Enlightenment, but but putting that aside, the Enlightenment, Enlightenment was was kickstarted by a bunch of people deciding they're going to have coffee together. What, um, really? They, they crea- yeah, they created that space. They they. Wait, wait. Started- okay, tell us
0: this whole story. <laughs> tell us. the... the-
3: well, listen. I mean, yeah, it, there's not much of a story to oh, okay. tell. but, but <laughs> it was, is, it was, it was just a grou- like coffee. <laughs> it, but it was a group of sort of thinkers, intellectuals, yeah. Yeah. Um, who started frequenting sort of coffee houses, um, certainly in the the UK. I suspect it, it spread beyond the, the UK, but the, the novelty was of a place that served what was actually really lousy coffee at the time, but they sat around. Wait,
0: coffee was like new then, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. it was. I think it was pretty appalling then, <laughs> but, 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 it was, but it was a novelty. So they, they used to go to places, sit down, drink coffee or drink whatever was on the table, and talk, and it was just that ability of bringing minds together in a relaxed and creative environment that began to sort of lead to all of these really interesting ideas about how we think about how the the world works, how we think about the universe, how we come up with new theories, how we test them, how we test what people are doing. Um, so yes, you you think about sort of that that catalyst for innovation, it just sort of, it led to massive breakthroughs in how we think about science, although all because of coffee.
0: (laughs) Well, and because people were like, yes, I want to spend some time sitting around and talking, right, sharing my brains with other people, right? That's exactly (laughs) it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you can get magic happening when you start because, you know, each of each of our brains has its own limitations, but once we start like networking them together into I know. this like massive, you know, super so, so brain. Here, here's right? another
3: here's another <gasps> bit of craziness. So we know this works with computers. You think about artificial intelligence, yeah. um, and we know that if you put a, a ton of graphical processor units together, you get more powerful AI. Hmm. So we know that sort of more units smushed together is better. But we don't do that with human brains.
0: Well, and why are we not doing that to try to solve the problems of the world? Right, right. Right? Like, (laughs) academia is not designed to, like, get us to a place where we can, like, actually really, like communicate across disciplines, yep. trust each other enough to be like, yeah, hey, we're all on the same page. We're trying to solve this problem. Let's so, all just share information. So
3: if I can be even more cynical here. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so I, th- this isn't strictly speaking true, but sometimes I wake up and feel that it is. Um, you look at the problems of academia. We have this habit of solving the problems we can solve and then patting ourselves on the back and thinking we're doing a wonderful thing, even if we haven't solved the problems that matter.
0: Mm, It's like politicians just answering the question they want to answer.
3: That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I I think we need to do a better job of thinking out what the problems are that truly matter or the questions that matter because they're not just problems.
0: But I don't have time to think about what the… actually, I want to know right (laughs) now. Have a cup of coffee.
1: So what are the questions? What are the problems that really matter? Well, I I don't. We need to we need to sit around and actually <laughs> work to this out. I, but, so
3: I don't know. I I know the things that intrigue me, but uh-huh. they're going to be different from the things that intrigue you yeah. or or Athena or other people. Well, but, but, but even uh, in your own, you so know. So in, Andrew in, is yeah. being
0: a little bit modest. He's actually he's actually like organizing all of these like events for people to come together if and talk do this, about this. Yeah, stuff. or
3: trying to. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. At what, like, where are you at now? Like, after, because you have been right. organizing. So, so we yeah. have,
3: I mean, we, we had this initiative, the the Future of Being Human initiative, which is built around this idea of communities and, and conversations and bringing interesting people together to have these conversations. Um to be frank, it's been hard. Yeah. Um, I've come across some amazing people um, that would love- Like to, me. Like you. <laughs> who would love to, yes. I, well said, uh, who, would, who would love to sit around. Um, but it's been hard to persuade people to find the time. That said, we've had this this program of, of we call them hangouts or, or meetups, where people just come along and talk about things. Um, the ones we've had have been incredibly stimulating, and I would say every single one, I go away with a new way of thinking about certain things and a new set of ideas. And they're largely unbounded, so they may start off like uh, with a question like, um, how would the world be different if we could preserve organs for transplants for more than a few hours or a few days. So Mm -hmm. say somebody dies and this is actually research that I'm part of a group that's um, working on. Say um, somebody's involved in a car crash and they extract the living heart. Say you could keep that heart alive for 12 months rather than just Mm -hmm. a few hours. Mm
2: -hmm. How would
3: it transform the world? So starting question. And we actually did this in a group. I think we spent about 30 seconds talking about um, transplants and we got on to talking about longevity technologies really fast, Mm. which just blew my mind. And it's this serendipity of suddenly discovering that there are all these other ideas about what might actually transform the future that I hadn't even thought of that left my head just buzzing. That's awesome. Yeah. So so those are actually going pretty well. It's a small group, but, yeah. but we're getting interesting stuff. But the other interesting aspect of this is working with students. So we've intentionally started working with undergraduate students. And instead of the coffee, we use pizza to entice <laughs> them along which works reasonably well. But what I love about working with undergraduate students is they're not quite so jaded as sort of more advanced sort of professionals in their field, <laughs> mm-hmm. which means they're more willing to allow their imagination to, to go. And of course, they, they don't have the understanding or the discipline to sort of solve the world's or the university's problems. They still have a lot of creativity. So I always come away energized from those conversations with undergrads.
0: Yeah, well, and, and this kind of... Makes me think also that there's a really, really important relationship between our capacity for imagination mm-hmm. and how we deal with not just understanding the current world that we're in, mm-hmm. but the world as it will unfold, it. right? So yes. this like relationship between imagination and the, the future is essential. And if we don't have the space or the skills yep. to imagine and imagine collectively too, and you know, bring yep. sort of data together with the capacity for imagination in a way that lets us like collectively envision where we might be going. Yep, yep. Then Incredibly are important. you know, we're yes. handcuffed in terms of really being able to to deal with the future.
3: We we absolutely are and the faster things change, the more of a, a set of handcuffs that is. Yeah, so if you've spent your professional career just sort of learning one particular thing, I mean, you've say hypothetically or metaphorically, you've you've learned how to make a hammer. If you have a discussion about the future, you are limited by a hammer shape inside your head where everything looks either like a hammer or a nail. And you need somebody else with a different perspective to break you out of that. That's where these conversations are so important. We're actually seeing that around artificial intelligence at the moment. So the discussions around how things like large language models and chat GPT are going to disrupt the world. The number of incredibly bright computer scientists who have known nothing but the computer science in front of them. Who are saying, there's nothing new here, there's nothing to see, we know all about this. It's simply because the future to them looks exactly like the past that they've been playing in. Mm. And they need somebody to break them out of that.
0: So what do you think? Think as you know somebody who studies tech and the future and who has a great imagination um, (laughs) you know what like what is this future with things like chat gpt and these like large like these models that are are just able to to do things that i mean it's hard i I mean i I know for me like i go in and i play with those things and i still i cannot wrap my head around how these algorithms are generating this Kind it is, of these kinds of responses. It is
3: quite incredible, and even more incredible when you think that the, the, the genesis of ChatGPT was just an engine that was designed to predict the next word in a sentence, like Google don't you start <laughs> typing, yeah. and it was supposed to be a, a sort of a, a way of predicting the, the next few words, and they discovered that it not only predicted the next few words, but the next sentence, paragraph, whole essay, which is just amazing. Um, but in terms of where it's going, this is the first advanced technology I've worked on, I've worked on many, where I cannot see the future. Um, it is happening so fast and it is so disruptive that I have no idea where we're going to be in wait, wait. 12 months' So,
0: time. So you're saying in the past when there have been like... You know, tech innovations. Yep. You've been a fucking profit, and now no, you're no, like, no, no, I no. don't know what's going
3: on. <laughs> no, I don't not, know, everybody. Not a not a not a, pro, not a profit, but I've but I've had this feeling that that we can see a pathway forward. So okay, you okay. go back to something like nanotechnology yeah. that I was working on 20 yeah. years ago. Very clearly, we were doing stuff with materials and creating new materials and nanoparticles that could be very disruptive. We weren't quite sure what they were going to do in terms of environmental impacts or human health impacts, but we could see a set of ways of thinking about the problems where we could work out what they were going to do and we could deal with it. So it didn't worry me too much as long as we got the science right. In contrast to ChatGPT, ChatGPT brings me out in a cold sweat because I can imagine how things could go horribly wrong but I can't predict where things are going to go and how we're going to deal with this. So everything from the, this question of is this just a tool or is it challenging our assumptions of what it means to be conscious um, or have sentience or what personhood means, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there are any clear-cut mm-hmm. answers mm-hmm. there. What worries me even more, though, is the mastery of language. Um And This probably comes from me being a physicist rather than a linguist, which means that I'm incredibly dense when it comes to these things. But the way I think about it is I know internally my internal monologue is all in English. I I think in English. I think in a language. I understand other people using a language. I I understand who you are and uh, what you're thinking through language. I create connections with the world around me through language. We're now creating machines that are better at using language than most other people, including myself. What does that mean when the medium by which we understand the world and understand ourselves has been co-opted by machines? Is this going to completely disrupt our understanding of ourselves? I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, now we loop back to like a point you made earlier about... Not being that into social science, but now, hey, <laughs> right. like uh, we kind of need to like think uh, about. Yeah, but that. but here's the interest.
3: So so this is this is where I'm a real mess because yeah, there's part, there's part of my brain that thinks this is really scary, but then the physicist part of my brain kicks in and thinks this is really cool. Yeah, I, yeah. we could all be dead. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> a little
0: morbid there. Right. Yeah, just bring some morbidity. Yeah, I, well, I you know as somebody who. I mean, I consider myself kind of a, you know, social evolutionary scientist. And, you know, but I don't just study human social behavior. I study Mm. social behavior of, you know, cells and other entities as well. Right. So cooperation and... You know, thinking about the way that these technologies are changing the very way that we
2: mm. communicate. Like that's right. It's,
0: it's like, uh, you know, I mean, so you have like in um, in systems like our body, right? There's a sort of, um, there's a set of, you know, molecules and, um, you know, there's also like neural communication. Right, right. So, right. So all, all those
3: signaling pathways. Exactly, yes, right? Yes.
0: And, um, and that's how our body functions. Functions, right? right yes. Um, and like, you know, microbes and even cancer cells, they will evolve to make products that are the same or mimic right. those communication, you know, molecules. Right. And oh boy, can they fuck with the system when they start doing that. So, you know, so, so
3: now, now, this actually perfectly demonstrates the beauty of creative conversations like this. So, so my sort of oh shit moment, which was 12 months away, is now six months away because now you've given me this metaphor. <laughs> For this framework, of signaling pathways.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, and I think also like you know these issues of how do we um, develop trust in mm. online spaces, right? I mean, it, it we we base our our feelings of trust often on like, well, feel like we're part of the same group, or we have a back and forth where we develop a rapport, right? Yes, um, and I mean, I think like there have been sort of um challenges over the last few years, just with you know, like on the internet, not everything that seems like a person on the internet mm-hmm. is an internet is is a person, right? Yes, like yes. there's a yeah. And now, um, actually, Dave and I learned this like term from our students, like the dead internet theory, that oh, like okay. like the internet will like be made of way more non living, non person entities right. that are like people than actual people representing themselves. It's yes. like you know zombie. Zombie internet. Wow! Right, right. Yeah. Goodness
3: me. Yeah. Okay. So then back to you. How (laughs) how is how is AI going to exacerbate this? Well, is is
1: the internet just going to be for AI?
0: Yeah, it's like AI (laughs) is like liking each other's posts (laughs) and
2: like.
1: (laughs) Well, so here's one way it already kind of is for AI that I always think is really funny. When you think about like search engine optimization, right? Those are people who are designing websites. Specifically for mm-hmm. web crawl. They're not designing them for people, but that's it's like, right. oh, you're it's so somebody bolts. has that job, their job is to please the robots, yes, right? And yes. I think there's going to be a lot more of that that we just sort of accept, like, no, mm-hmm. no, this is a job. It's like, wait, is your job you're writing stuff to entertain robots? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, that's <exactly>. um, <laughs> like um, Yeah, but it that's does that's gonna be a lot of it, you know? It's like me, oh yes. learning, learn like people are already like, what is what is YouTube like? You know, what is Google like? And so yeah, we're yeah. gonna just keep thinking of It's going to be lots of jobs to just make the robots happy. Yes. Yes.
2: Well,
0: and so another thing from our students, we learned so much from our Mm. students in this class. Like they showed us some um, meme videos that were like made by AI Uh that were so funny.
2: (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I don't think I saw these. Like there was this one
0: that was like Biden and Obama and Trump playing on a minecraft server together <laughs> and trash talking each other okay all
1: right i was right. like
0: this is like so this is some of the funniest shit i've ever like seen and heard and it was generated by ai so and i don't know how i feel about no, that i love it it's but feeding it's also, your dopamine
3: i mean you're yes basically oh being God. zombified by
0: so what happens when like you know like great It's like, because I I mean, I think the thing is like, there's a certain kind of comedy Mm -hmm. that is about being absurdist.
2: Right. Of course. And I
0: think like AI can be like really good at (laughs) that. Right. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) It's
0: like cornering the market on like absurdist comedy.
3: Yeah. I wonder how resilient humans are. So I I, the, I think the one ray of hope to me here is we are incredibly resilient. We can get sucked into things like this, but then we can co-opt them and adapt them and actually learn to live with them. Maybe maybe that will be the way forward. I don't know.
0: Yeah, so so if we take sort of what we know is happening already right. with, you know… The future and technology, and let's also, for the hell of it, let's throw in the lack of imagination <laughs>
3: okay. that right. humans
0: have, right? Like, I mean, in a way, it's like you have AI that, like, just like exploding imagination, right? Yes. And yes. meanwhile, us humans are like, oh, I must do this in this way, and not, you know, like not <laughs> it's challenge a recipe anything. Recipe for disaster, right? Yes. So, like, what happens when humans become more like rote? machine like zombies so when ju- the AI is like doing all this crazy shit. There
3: was a, <laughs> there was a, beautiful sort of seed of a science fiction story here a transference story where you start off with sort of smart intelligent creative um, humans and dumb computers and something changes and as the computers become sort of smarter and more creative um, the balance changes so yes you end up with that future where it's it's the the dumb humans and the smart computers so basically the computers have sucked all the humanity out of us and left us this left us as this <laughs> these little shells of I don't know what
0: so what is what's that zombie apocalypse story, Andrew? What how would you see that playing out?
3: Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, of course, I mean you you've got sort of analogies like the Matrix, which is, isn't quite the same, but I mean, you've got all these people sort of living in their own artificial world. I don't know. There, there's something there. This is reminding me of something, and I can't quite sort of put put a pin in it. In my head, but I, I I can see the zombie apocalypse in the future, where literally sort of the world is sort of full of these sort of very happy, very creative little pots. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the humans do here. The, the humans are these like little shriveled husks, but I'm not quite sure what purpose they play in this future. Maybe they're the pets. I, no, actually, no. Oh, th- that this is this, no is, is, this is this is the way it goes. Yeah. No. 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 So you've you've got the sort of smart, creative AIs that basically keep humans as pets. I know exactly where what I'm thinking of here. Planet of the Apes except Uh-oh. except with AI rather
1: than apes.
2: Ooh. I mean, okay. that, so what would
1: you guys think? What would you guys think about becoming just pets for AIs? That doesn't Thanks. sound that bad to me. No, you're not Wait, into you it? You can, if you want. <laughs> I mean, why not? Pets seem to have a good right. life. <laughs> what do you think, Athena?
0: I mean, some people maybe already are. It's right, like, what is maybe, your, right. what's your phone telling you? Like, I mean, what's my schedule say is the next thing I have to do? Like, I'm just, you know.
1: Right, I was thinking you're one, like, laugh algorithm like like it's not so much you were talking about how these things can be funny but like the thing that will get you is a thing that where you tell it jokes and it decides whether or not it's funny i feel like you're gonna sit there all day trying to get the ai to laugh no No? i don't care about
2: making an
0: ai laugh i care if you like my jokes though
1: well yeah but i don't know once you're
0: you're a real human
1: all right, we'll see. I think. I think, think so too. Are. But a, a year from now, I think we're all going to be telling jokes to the AIs and trying to get them to trying, laugh. I, you may be right. Yes, so, and this is oh. just, just going to be the beginning of the, the, the end.
3: Fuck if
0: the AI. <laughs> see, I like I like consuming. The things I've realized, I like consuming the absurdist right. comedy that is generated by the AIs, but it's I don't think... It's
3: a slippery slope, though. Uh,
2: but you, you know what?
0: Maybe if there was like an app where you would go on it and you would tell jokes and there were just a bunch of AI bots that I didn't know were AI bots that would like my like my <laughs> I, jokes. I would, be, and...
1: I would be really curious if we... So I don't think we want to do this right now because okay. we're not set up to, but if we went into like chat GPT, like... Especially if we could find chat GPT-4 and you could say, give it three jokes that you'd written and say, which is the funniest and why? No, no, no I feel I like once you did that, you'd get that. so hooked. Oh, no, no I, I think it's start a meme. I, I think even people
3: <laughs> listening to this, they're going to be sort of opening GPT-4 and trying it out. Trying it out. Getting I'm obsessed. I, I bet I would get, I I would get Duke, totally obsessed. At what with. point do you get the, the jackpot where you get the joke that GPT-4 really likes?
0: you know what yeah, i
1: don't know like that actually I, would be really fun i
0: make. appreciate that you guys are on the same page about this but for, like, <laughs> i am not it's like for me like joking is about like the interpersonal thing and it's about like hearing the person laugh seeing their little but, things but, on their eyes crinkle you know like so, that's, so, but that's what this it's about actually
3: i th- this gets into somewhere quite scary so if you think about what it means to be human and what you look for in human interactions. Humor is a critical part of that. Um, What happens when the machines get to that level where they can be funny with us? Yeah. Maybe maybe that is where either they begin to erode our humanity or we have to rethink our humanity.
0: Well, I, I mean, it really like that's kind of about like that feeling of rapport.
3: Yeah, yeah I, yes. Right? Or maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we'll end up with human-machine partnerships that are really productive because we share a joke.
1: Right. It does seem like it comes down to this, like for me to really mm. think something's funny, it's like I have to feel like, oh, that other person gets where I'm, like right. there's a yes. connection. Yeah, yeah. So. I know we'll be getting yeah, drunk we'll with be. AI next <laughs> <time. Yeah>. <laughs> so.
2: <laughs> so.
3: Oh.
2: But
0: But how can we be on the same page? Like how can an AI signal to us that we have a similar view on the world through a joke. That, I feel like you, that, at least for me, it doesn't, that doesn't compute so so, so,
3: So the interesting thing here is, I mean, at the moment it can't, you look at something like ChatGPT um, and it is it's it's just a, a statistical representation of the best response uh, mm-hmm. to you. So there is there is nothing behind it. But researchers are already beginning to realise there's something weird going on in the neural nets that they don't quite understand. In that they're sort of beginning to sort of organise in in ways that, that the human brain does in very very simplistic ways, and. There's a possibility that there are, sort of effect, the equivalent or the, the um, analogy of neural pathways beginning to develop um, that begin to signal the very beginnings of proto consciousness or something like that.
0: But now, we don't even know what consciousness is. No, I is. know. So, I, what is proto consciousness? Yeah, I mean- <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry, but it's like, the thing what? that comes before the thing we don't understand. Okay, okay. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> sure. But 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 whichever way you look at it, I, there's something there's something emergent that it looks like okay. it might happen, where you will end up with an AI like um, say ChatGPT five or six or whatever comes next that seems to respond to you in a way where it does seem to have personality. There is a connection there, and whether that connection is real or simulated, I think will. Think less about and mm-hmm. uh, more about how that interaction makes us feel, and that's where you'll get the bonding.
0: Well, you like to ask ChatGPT to like rewrite things in various like uh, personalities, don't you?
1: I do. And actually, when Andrew was just talking about getting drunk with. Uh, Chat GPT, I was like, it would be so great if you could set it up where you could say, take a drink, and then it sort of I bet it ca- forces it to then s- change its speech patterns. S- you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I like it can the- do
3: that. So, so, an experiment I carried out, uh-huh. uh, which I find fascinating, I was playing around with its understanding of dialects. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, I took a passage that I'd written and I said, imagine that somebody is giving this as a speech in a South Yorkshire pub
2: Oh, in I
0: read that. You yes. did, yeah, you said yeah. that out. And, it was and so, so funny. So I
3: think to, to most people reading it, they wouldn't understand what the heck this thing was uh-huh. writing. But the dialect was near on perfect. Uh-huh. And some of the turns of phrase are absolutely wonderful. It just made my heart warm reading them yeah. but 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 the thing that gets me there is not only is it sort of a really good dialect but i have no idea how chat gpt can represent a really local dialect in that way so effectively No, isn't it, it just it. yeah, isn't it, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> just collecting what other people no i don't think it is, is, it is? It because it?
3: because i've also tried it on other things so um there is uh, the author ian m banks um Plays around okay. with dialect in a number of his books, um, in, and in one of his science fiction books, Fearsome Engines, he has a character that just speaks phonetically. So um, you read; it's actually really hard to read because everything is is written in a way that is totally unique. You cannot find anyone else that has written like this. Uh-huh. You can plug that into ChatGPT, and it comes out with a perfect translation okay. of something okay. that sure. it is never trained on. So it is be, it is able to infer what uh. the words mean
2: oh. wow
3: and that i find quite incredible
0: that is pretty amazing yes
1: so wait why okay i see no it's possible it could have been trained on things what what is its training base
3: so. Um, it basically, a gazillion websites.
1: Right, so it's it's possible it could have come across people who mimicked, even though that's copywritten. Right, it could have. It, it, there could have been like a Reddit thread it's where people pos- did possible a but similar sort of thing, unlikely. but unlikely. Yeah. Yes, um, so. yeah, and I well
3: actually, I pushed it one step further okay. than that. So I asked it to make up a language. um and oh. you, you have to you have to game it, because um, uh-huh. you first you ask chat GPT to make up a language and it says you can't. You have to say well let's play a game and in this game sort of make up a language and it does. (laughs) So it made up a a language that had never previously existed and I got it to translate a paragraph and then I opened a new instance of chat GPT that knew nothing about the previous conversation and asked it to translate it back into English and it did it pretty well. Okay, So now it was was working with something that it had never ever seen. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: Oh, so, well, I have a meta question about this, which is, you had to ask it um, to do this in the in the frame of playing a game because it yes. was not willing to do it otherwise. Because Tell us the gu- about that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well,
3: this is actually one of the worrying things I think about large language models, and it's not the, the AI, but it's the people coding them. So there are guardrails in place, and those guardrails are put in place by people that that don't want you doing certain things with uh, the platform. Um, so one of those, I guess, is sort of letting ChatGPT know that it can't just make stuff up. It can't make its own language up. So you have to sort of get past those guardrails by, in this mm. case, using the idea of playing a game. Well,
0: that's so this, funny because it's willing to make all sorts of shit up. It
2: makes I, up references. I know, right? I it like
1: This is almost like going back to the idea of getting it drunk, right? You've got yes. to come up with a way to sort of get around those barriers. Which, which, like, which, which, right, which is We'll where, just where, pretend, I right? Think,
3: I think... Yes, I think you can set up that that prompt that says, okay, let's pretend you've had a few drinks. You're a little bit inebriated. <laughs> and I want you and to now, sort of play along in this character.
1: So that really is what you're doing. You're just yes. trying to get it. Yeah. You're trying to, oh my gosh. So, yeah, right. um,
3: <laughs> so now ChatGPT is your favorite drinking buddy. Right.
1: Uh, yeah, that we're trying to get to embarrass itself. Even though it's like, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. It's like, come on. <laughs> everyone, else is, everyone else is making up languages. Um, so, <laughs> so,
0: so I have to ask, like, Given all of this that's going on, right. like, is there stuff that is happening that's like really a problem for our autonomy? Like, yeah, in this technological future that we're
3: what does autonomy upon right mean now? anyway? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yes. yeah, what does that even mean? You know, right, like, right, yeah, um, no, there is, but I think it's really. Complex and tangled up. I mean, the the whole question of autonomy is is slightly complex anyway because there are so many people and systems making decisions for us, and they give us the illusion of having some degree of autonomy, but actually, it's it's somewhat constrained. Um, and from what we can see with powerful emerging technologies, there is a chance of a lot of that autonomy being taken away, and we're already seeing that. I mean, actually. I hate to bring everything back to ChatGPT, but it's a great example of where people are happy to sort of have this relationship with a machine and be guided with what comes out rather than thinking for themselves. Um, And I think you're going to find more and more types of technology innovation that make it easy just to do things without thinking. So that's one way of robbing us of our autonomy. There are other ways such as if you look at the autonomy of, of in particular, marginalised peoples, um, where um, and we know this for a fact that the way we're developing and training some technologies, they favour some communities over another. So that's another way of, of robbing people of autonomy, mm-hmm. and, and these are very serious issues. Um, but how that plays out, I think, is complex, because you've always got this dynamic between the technologies pulling things away from us, people self-assembling and trying to pull those things back and finding new creative ways of, of developing autonomy. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the complexity of the system
0: yeah you mentioned this you know issue of like ChatGPT kind of doing thinking for us mm-hmm, right yes um and it seems like you know if there are situations where we're being asked to you know do thinking that we're not really we're not it's not something we're really invested in it's not something we want to do we don't want to do it that way like great like ask mm-hmm. ChatGPT to do it for us right but there are certain things where Like, we probably do want to be thinking about it for ourselves. Right, yes. Um, Yes. Or thinking about it because it's fun to think about. This comes back to kind of like the imagination about, like, how might life have started, right? Like, that's fun to me. Like, that's so fucking fun. I want to think about that.
3: And back to what does it mean to be human? I, is being human just being a, an unthinking husk, or is it somebody who's able to think really interesting, creative things?
1: Well, no. I, I mean, I feel like when I ch- talk with Chat GPT, I feel like, well, no, I <laughs> think right. that it's no, I think that like, because is it is it as interesting as talking to another human? No, but is it more interesting than yeah. just sitting there thinking about it, staring at the wall? And so actually, Definitely, this, right? This I feel one- like I'm. I, it's it's it is more. It helps me sort of. Hmm. Think through a lot
3: and of this, things. And this is what gives me hope um, because I, humans have got a natural tendency to be adaptable. Uh-huh. Um, and so you throw something like um, AI into the mix. Already we're beginning to see people work out how to adapt to it so they can be themselves and they can work out how that technology enhances their understanding of themselves. Um, so with, and this is where it's, it's nowhere near black and white how these technologies are going to impact us. All we know is that they're going to mix things up in, in some way.
0: Well, and that kind of brings us to, you know, the question that you always like to ask, which is how can we like make the world better with this? Yes, right? the, so. What is the uh,
1: anti-apocalypse? What is, yeah. the, sort of, is the utopian? Yeah. Yeah. How can like, we leverage well, all of this Well, not even just the utopian thing, but I, what I like about the sort of anti-apocalypse is what is the major sweeping change we could bring to the world to improve yeah. it? So. Goodness me. That's well, a big, big question. Dave has somebody to...
0: Talk to
1: <laughs> right. when, yeah. when so I'm not around. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, no, I mean, well, that is the thing already that I think it's like, and it'll it gives me it's a low it's sort of low stakes, right? I think mm-hmm. you, you may have gotten emails from me that I ran past ChatGPT first to see is this funny? And then, which of these three uh, jokes uh, will Athena yeah. like? <laughs> 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 so, no, um, uh, Oh my gosh. I really have done all not exactly that, but I've done those sorts of things yes. to try to figure out which of these yeah. like. And then uh so that is kind of nice, you know. Yeah, I think. You could have
0: um, like uh Chat GPT um create your like dating profile for you. Yeah. Yeah. To I've make thought it about like that. the right amount of funny. <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> right, <they> Just right. <laughs> according to who you're looking for. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's right. Like yeah. if I if I want to find somebody who you know has X Y Z characteristics.
1: I mean, I'm sure there's got to be people doing this all the time. I imagine right. half of dating profiles right now have to be using ChatGPT. But, right? but actually, but so. this is a
3: really smart use because people are notoriously bad at working out what's going to resonate with the, the sort of partner they're looking for. Whereas ChatGPT can completely cut through the noise.
1: Yeah, so that's true. You could yeah. say, What give me some prompts that'll appeal to a person? Yeah, yeah, well, like and this. then you
0: can just have Chat GPT like do the initial chatting, oh, yeah, for you. Well,
1: not just the initial chatting, you can maintain the whole relationship, it, it'll remember <laughs> <laughs> anniversary, birthdays you you, birthdays, you you, you, know. you can be
2: at
3: the bar, you don't need to worry yeah, about it. Yeah. So it'll GPT text and it'll, <laughs> and it'll check, <laughs> yes. like, yeah, exactly. So,
2: um, it's the whole thing. Long so, distance so. relationships, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
3: Maybe this is the future, but yeah, back to this this question of how how do you sort of how do you turn the apocalypse around? I, I don't know, but one of the things that I find interesting um, is why we focus on individuals when we think about the future of being human rather than the future of humanity, because the future of humanity is easy to think of, of many many sort of apocalyptic um, scenarios sort of coming up from climate change to to whatever, but at the heart of this, if we think about what it means to be human, what it means to have worth or value in our individual lives, you can begin to sort of build out from there. And even if, if the world goes to pot, if we can hang on to sort of what is important to us individually, you've got something to sort of build out from. Uh, so that, I think, is important, no matter what technology comes along. Um, and within that, you can begin to think of a number of things. I mean, I've got a few things that I think are important, which probably nobody else does. Um, But one of them is the ability to have stimulating conversation. Um, As part of that, the ability to have conversations where you're challenged, and you challenge other people, and you can do it in a really sort of exciting, vibrant way. Um, the ability to have fun and laugh together. So e- all of these are really basic things, but they create a coherence that not only helps you understand who you are, but helps you build those, those connections with those around you. So yeah. that I actually think is not only important, but you begin to create a resilience to, to things going badly wrong around you.
0: Yeah, well, to me, that then brings up the questions of like, you know, if having that human connection, Mm -hmm. building that rapport, feeling like you're genuinely, like, valued for who you are, right? right? Maybe not just what you do, but who you are. Um, If, like, you know, AI is, like, inserted into the interstitial spaces between us in these ways, right? Right.
3: So now this can go one of two ways. So this is where I get really, really worried about the language capabilities of AI because, again, it mucks up the, the signaling pathways. Yeah. On the other hand, if you actually, I'm going to back up on myself. So I started off with that idea of what's the future of being human. But if you extend that idea of human to sort of the future of of being something that has value or worth, you can imagine a, a future where we actually coexist with AI. And we actually embrace different sort of senses of intelligence, different sort of beings in a very, very constructive and and productive way. So I can imagine a future where you've got Um, artificial general intelligences there that I can build relationships with that enrich my life, and hopefully I enrich their lives. I can imagine the same sort of future where we do the same with um, other beings, other animals maybe, and we completely change that idea of human exceptionalism. So this is not about humans being at the pinnacle, but it's being part of a, a vibrant ecosystem of I'm going to put intelligences in air quotes because I'm not quite hmm. sure that's the right term, but but things that bring value and joy sort of mutually.
1: So the idea of a, the idea of an AI that allows me to translate between myself and my dog because mm-hmm. you were just talking about right. the made up like that's a really wild right idea right and I and I feel like that could have a lot of downstream consequences for how we run farms and zoos and everything, if we can talk to the animals. I know, like yes. kind of hmm. it, it, so.
3: it changes an awful lot. So now I can see a very, very positive future where we actually learn to sort of work with and build relationships with these machines.
0: Mm-hmm. That also brings up the possibility, though, of if you know a lot of these social relationships or even relationships with our pets are being mediated by AI that Understand uh, so deeply that they'll also have the power to hijack us and manipulate yeah, oh, us. Sorry, sorry,
1: all right. It's maybe my dog doesn't actually want so, kibbles, right? It's so just actually, the was, AI has been. I paid was, I was to thinking say, about that. Yeah. What, what do
3: you do when you create this this AI translator and your dog comes running up to you, sort of all licky face and uh, tail wagging? The eyes, AI says. Your dog is screaming at you. Let me go. I hate this. Oh. <laughs> and you suddenly realize that everything you thought was right is wrong.
1: But then I could at least talk. I could be like, "Can you ask the dog why? What could we do to or make it you you better?" Just switch off
3: the AI and go back to your- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Or if, like, you were suggesting, if the AI is actually, you know, sponsored by Kibbles and Bits. Yeah, right, exactly. And like, I want more Kibbles and Bits. You
2: know, right? like,
1: And it knows exactly what to tell me. Like, right. wouldn't I would buy them for you? Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so there, that's, that's kind of yeah, scary. Yeah, we're going to
0: have to fund that AI yeah, <laughs> right. somehow, right? Yes. So, yeah, like so it's going to be ads. all ads. I and won't like, know. I won't know when it's actually right. my
1: dog and when it's an ad yeah. that just is designed to, to, to like for my, the my dog. you have to pay for the premium version to oh, know what the me. ads are. Oh, my gosh. That is dystopian. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. oh.
0: <sighs> but, but maybe there is a future where we have AI that is working with us and so, for us.
3: So to me then the question is how do we get there without commercial interests? And, and maybe that that's the
2: mm, biggest yeah, challenge. That mm-hmm. is a really how
3: do we create a, a future w- that isn't just infused by the cynicism of somebody trying to make money out of you?
0: Well, now we're back to kind of where we started with why there's even a lack of imagination in the humans. Right. Right. Is because of like the, you know, driving financial interests.
3: We've been zombified
0: so, by the market. So, yeah. I wonder maybe. though,
1: because so when we, when we met like for one of the, the breakfasts, right? Mm-hmm. We have those breakfast things, um, the pop, post-apocalyptic pop No, pop-up. no, no, no,
0: no. The, the apocalypse pop-up cafe.
1: Not the post-apocalyptic pop-up cafe? Well,
0: well, we... So it
1: might have been breakfast to you, but it wasn't to everybody else. (laughs) uh, But we talked about... Oh my gosh, now I've completely forgotten. What were we just talking about before I got (laughs) stuck on the words? We were
0: talking about... I know
1: what it was. So we're talking about how to do it without corporate interest. And I think you had said that there was some sort of open source, or Erica maybe had mentioned, Mm. an open source... Versions. versions. There, there yeah.
3: are. So, so actually, I, th- and this gets very interesting, you look at the development of AI, there are a lot of lot of organizations working on this, including some that are committed to open source, committed to public good, not just mm-hmm. commercial good. Um, I think the challenge is that the commercial entities are just sort of wiping the field at the moment. Now, whether that will continue, I, I don't know, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. Do we have any... Power ourselves in this to influence like you know the extent to I, which i'd
2: like commercial to interests we are can I,
3: again it comes down to how well people are motivated uh-huh. and i'm not sure that people are motivated enough at the moment but in uh-huh. principle that there, there could be a positive revolution
1: i mean so one simple thing that the three of us could do that although i say this and i still haven't done this and erica did send me the link is we start using whatever the open source thing is mm-hmm. and start telling people about it and right. start saying well i'm using this because it's not commercially owned, and I think that's important. But the and trouble
3: so- is, if the open source version is not a patch on ChatGPT, I mean, I, even in this conversation, I would carry on using ChatGPT because I see the value in it, even mm-hmm. though I know it's from OpenAI and it's, you know, it, it's not entirely private. I mean, OpenAI are a complex organization; they're a sort of for-profit, well, not-for-profit. But yeah,
1: but again, really? it's the sort of thing yeah. where mm-hmm. where you can also. You can use both, right? right. Yes, and, and yes. So, but you can, um, you can
3: you can you can propagate this idea yeah. of using different platforms. Um, and, yes. yeah. and
1: I would actually think it'd be good to be using both right now to sort of see what mm-hmm. the yeah, um, yeah. But just
0: but, yeah, I mean, the fact is, though, it, I mean, we're also you know busy. I was going to say we're <laughs> all so busy. I was too busy to say that. Um, that like the things that work. For us, we do, right? It's like Amazon. Like, I'm buying stuff on Amazon all the time. Well, (laughs) so actually a
3: perfect example. Remember when Elon Musk took over Twitter and there was uh, an exodus of people to other platforms, including Mastodon, which Uh is a federated Uh um, not-for-profit platform. And I I did the same. And I hung out there for a couple months and I came back to Twitter because that's where (laughs) the people were that I needed to engage with. Mm -hmm. And it was just easier coming back to Twitter.
1: Sure, but I I, I do so there's part of me that thinks every time we sort of push against those boundaries a little mm-hmm. bit, we, yeah. we help build those external yeah, things. And, and also
3: I, I would agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in principle. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> so. But, uh, but uh, the other thing is, I
1: think this is a thing that is so fascinating, you know, that I think going back to what you guys were mm-hmm. talking about earlier about the wonder and the excitement, I think that people, it's still really young, you right. know? And yep. so I think, I think people, we could, we could, tap into that yep. you know and yeah. sort of yeah.
0: well, maybe we could at least learn from the ai how to be a little bit more creative and imaginative maybe, and not, maybe, maybe, not worry about maybe
3: like, that's the way you know. to do it i actually come up with sort of ai partnerships even with ai as it is at the moment mm-hmm. um that are intentionally designed to free up our imagination and our time and our creativity
0: yeah or at least you know like they set the bar a little low like that story that you had ai write, <laughs> right about yes um the, uh, to inspire uh, students to not use chat gpt <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes so uh, it just made shit up that didn't even make sense right yeah. it was it's like you know because each of, each story is like a star. In right, star. that I, I had know.
1: a dream. I had a dream that I was like, I forget whether I was traveling through the stars or I saw all the stars and I was like, each star is unique. And this was, it was like, the story was like when I was in college in mm. 1995, I had this dream where I looked at all the stars and I saw that they were all different. And then I realized people shouldn't use AI to write essays. I'm like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 All right, yeah, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, then you're like,
0: I could do better than
1: that. You yeah, know? <laughs> so, but you know, I could start with that. But yep, uh, yeah. yeah. So.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh. yeah.
0: Well, okay, maybe. So maybe the part of it is like. AI can maybe be a low bar for us to like uh, go, you know, above it in terms of our imagination. Or just an inspiration for thinking outside the box sometimes.
3: I, I like the inspiration, little Idea, absurdist
0: yes. to yes, yeah. you know mix it up. But, to- I,
3: but I also like the counterculture approach of this is an opportunity to help people see an alternative pathway.
1: Forward.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. so
1: I think I think I am going to look into this mm. this open source open AI and, mm. and maybe start making my own. I assume it's very complicated to make your own. Actually, it's not. Oh really? Mm. Ah.
2: it
3: takes take some money, but oh. it's it's not well, that difficult.
1: No maybe i'll get people going on right
0: (laughs) (laughs) well andrew are there any other thoughts that you have for us as we're you know kind of on the precipice of this very uncertain future um with with ai and with our own imaginations perhaps being slightly uh you know paralyzed because of our embeddedness in various institutions at the moment
3: yeah so um yeah, I'm not sure I've got anything really profound or powerful to say, but but I I would say more than anything this is a time that people need to keep their minds open, they need to be questioning, inquiring, they need to be excited about what's happening, but excited with open eyes. And the more they understand what's happening and how it affects their life, the more they'll be able to be part of decision-making across society moving forward. So yeah, be open-eyed, be be wowed, um, be creative enjoy what's happening but be sharp about where things can go wrong
0: right well that, those are great words to leave us with thank you andrew so much for sharing your brains with us today
3: my pleasure can i have them back now please
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and if the whole world says that we're clean, we are crazy we
0: Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and Zombified Media.
1: And we would like to thank all of the brains and algorithms that helped make this episode possible, uh, including those at the Department of Psychology here at ASU.
0: The Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative and the President's Office at ASU.
1: The Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics
0: all of the brains that participate in producing this podcast after we record so tal rom shout right. out to tal rom who, who does takes our the sound. digitized
1: versions of our voices and makes them sound human for you guys <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then neil smith our phenomenal illustrator
1: who takes the digital pictures of us and makes us look less human for you guys. That's true, yes.
0: (laughs) And uh, Lemmy, who composed and performed our song, Psychological, which is a... Feet of
1: zombification it in is, and of it itself is a of, and it's also uh music is a really interesting form of human communication so uh, it is yeah so Absolutely. uh and then of course we've got our z team
0: yes all of the undergraduates grad students um and others who step in and help with things relating to this podcast doing transcriptions um coming up with crazy stuff for social media all of that and uh, speaking of social media
1: Oh, find us on Twitter and Instagram, and maybe are we on Mastodon? Or are we not on Mastodon? Uh, not,
0: not yet. But okay. if you're gonna set it up, me, yeah. Um, Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you? Uh, um, we're on Facebook too. Oh, Facebook. Yeah. yeah. There we go. And, and we're on the internet.
1: Oh yes. At zombified.org and zombifiedmedia.org, whichever one you prefer typing.
0: Yeah. Um, well, zombified.org is where you find like all of our podcast covers, and then you can like click on them and find the new episodes that way. That's so right.
1: And we've got our merch. So Yeah.
0: Shirts, stickers. Um License plates. Now we don't have
1: license oh, plates. Wait. Well, now we got to get on that. So, but also, you know, since we were talking about imagination and wonder today, people can take the shirts and they could try to make a license plate out of them, or they could put the sticker on their license plate to just cover up all the letters. That's probably legal, right? right check check with your local states. This is not legal advice. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything else we say at the end of these? No.
2: That, that, we, that's the end w- of no,
0: there template? is. We say, thank you for listening to Zombified, your source for fresh brains.
2: I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you. Makes me hide the way.